Let's call ourselves into a more deeper intentional worship. Uh, So sit back in your chair, put your things down, close your eyes. God, have you not been good to us? In the midst of loss and confusion, have you not been there? In the midst of death and suffering, have we not seen the sun rise again this day? One day at a time, God. Is not the cross, Lord, where you come together and show us that through suffering comes life? Even when we forget you, and even when we run from you, are we not your offspring? Praise the Lord from the heavens and praise Him from the heights. Praise Him, all angels, and praise Him, all hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all shining stars, and praise Him, highest heavens and the waters above the heavens. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea creatures, and all the ocean's depths. Fire and hail and snow and mist and stormy winds that fulfill His command. Mountains and hills and fruit trees and cedars, beasts, both wild and tame, reptiles and birds on the wing, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, young men and maidens as well, and the old and the young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted, His splendor above all the heavens and all the earth. Arise, everyone, let's worship the Lord. Let's pray, everyone. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And save us from the time of trial, and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Thank you to our worship team for leading us into worship. Thank you, you, Pastor Dan, for leading us in prayers this morning. I have no desire to take us out of the, the deep place they have brought us into. Rather, let's go deeper still and follow the Word of God and see where it takes us. We've been studying the book of 2 Timothy this summer. Today will be the last day we'll do that. We uh, it's probably time to move on to some other things, but I think we will come back and finish Second Timothy someday. At this point in Second Timothy, uh, Paul is languishing in prison, he says, because he preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. But let's be really clear, he is not just in prison. Paul is on death row. He has been labeled one of the most dangerous men in the Roman Empire. Scripture says he already had one trial, it did not go well. If his next trial goes no better, they will take him out to a little spot on a country road outside Rome, draw a sword, and strike off his head. Surely there has been some misunderstanding. For a good man like Paul, who's just going around telling people about a good man like Jesus, to wind up on death row, Surely there has been some sort of mistake. Don't we often feel this way in the Christian life when the world confronts us? Surely there's been some kind of 
misunderstanding. For those of you who are in high school, or perhaps if you're just young and single, or perhaps if you're just single, I remember when I was single, my own uh, shock and horror, when I kind of looked around one day and realized all my friends are getting drunk on Friday night. All my friends are starting to smoke pot. All my friends are starting to use drugs. All my friends are starting to sleep together. And I remember thinking, wait a minute. I I grew up in a house with alcoholics and drug addicts. I grew up in a house with promiscuous family members. Don't you all know where this is headed? This is a dead-end street. I've already lived this once. I thought we weren't going to do this. And as I began to move closer to Jesus, I would tell them about the freedom I was finding in him. And they would get angry. Don't judge us, they would say. You're no better than we are. I didn't understand the anger in their reaction. Surely there's some misunderstanding for them to be angry because I said I was finding peace. And I was inviting them to find it also. Surely there was some misunderstanding. Two years ago, Veronica's Voice, which is a ministry in Kansas City, uh, it's it's, uh, designed to help women and men leave the sex trade. They bought a house to turn into a rehabilitation center for prostituted people, people who are exploited, to leave that lifestyle. They were met by every conceivable roadblock to putting that rehabilitation center in. The neighborhood did not want them there, so they moved next to the campus of a former Methodist seminary. Then that neighborhood, led by a city council member, blocked them also. Why? Don't they understand the beauty of setting people free from that dark life? Saving Prostituted people is literally something from the pages of the Bible that Jesus did. Surely there must be some misunderstanding for good and decent people to want to block an opportunity to do such a wonderful thing. Surely there's, there's got to be some misunderstanding. Many years ago, our inner city partner, the Hope Center, approached a large Kansas City corporation to see if they would be willing to support the work of the Hope Center's inner city renewal financially. The corporation refused because they said the Hope Center is a Christian organization and they don't support religious charities. Never mind that this company markets an entire line of products specifically designed to be sold to Christians. I went on their website in preparing this message and it's still there. The tagline says, Your Heart God's love. But evidently, if you want to do anything in the name of this God other than sell some stuff, they won't support that work on religious grounds. Surely there's a mistake if a corporation that sells to Christians in Kansas City doesn't want to participate in Christian charitable work in Kansas City. Or... Maybe they do understand. Maybe they do understand what Jesus is trying to do, and that's the problem. There's no misunderstanding at all. When Paul is writing this letter from prison to Timothy, 
He's trying to bolster Timothy's courage because Timothy is now facing personal attacks. And here's where Paul begins in chapter 2, verse 8. Always remember that Jesus Christ is a descendant of King David. He was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. So the men who, are, who have silenced Paul and are trying to silence Timothy have brought the most serious charges possible against Paul. They warrant the death penalty. They did this because they knew exactly what they were up against. I want to read you a letter that's written by a Roman governor. Um, this doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from archaeology. It was written by the governor of the same region where Timothy lives, ironically. He's writing to the emperor of Rome. This letter was written only 50 years after Paul was executed. This is Pliny the Younger to the Emperor Trajan. Here is what I have been doing to those who are denounced to me as Christians. I interrogated them, asking them if they are Christians. Those who confessed, I ordered executed. Some of these Christians turned out to be Roman citizens, so I signed an order for them to be transferred to Rome, just like what happened to Paul. This superstition has spread like a disease, not only to the city, but also to the villages and farms. But it seems possible to check and cure it. In fact, you can already see it in the temples, which were almost deserted. Since these trials, they are starting to fill up again. The established religious rituals long neglected are being resumed, and that from everywhere, sacrificial animals are coming. Up until now, it's been nearly impossible to find anyone to buy animals for sacrifice. Do you see what's happening? Christianity is a threat to the Roman religious industry, selling pagan products. Christianity threatened the sale of religious sacrificial animals. Christianity threatened the sale of handmade gold and silver idols. Christianity threatened tourism to Roman religious temples. We didn't need that letter to show us that from archaeology. This was already shown to us in Scripture. A similar story from Acts chapter 19. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. The way is what they called Christianity then. Ephesus, ironically, is Timothy's hometown. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith, who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. Translation, he made jobs. He called them together along with others employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. He's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout all the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. And at this, their anger boiled and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions in Macedonia. 
The Romans didn't imprison Paul because they didn't understand what he was doing. They imprisoned Paul because they did understand. For those of you who are single, your friends don't shun you and stop calling you and leave you out because they don't understand the dangers of sexual promiscuity and drunkenness and drug use. They exclude you because they like those things. And if you're allowed to move freely in the social circle, influencing others with your promise of freedom from addiction in Jesus, his power to break the cycle of shame that accompanies promiscuity, before long, there won't be people left to do those things with. So they hope if they can make you lonely enough, desperate enough for attention and affection, you'll come back into the fold, fall back into line, and get back to doing what everyone else is doing. The world doesn't oppose the work of Veronica's voice because they don't understand how wonderful it would be to stop trafficking young girls and young boys and adult men and adult women for sex. They oppose this because the sex trade is very big business. Throughout the 80s, there was a prominent businessman in Omaha who rounded up dozens of homeless boys from Nebraska, ages six and older, and transported them all over the country to be used in a high-end boy prostitution ring. Where was one of the main stops for this ring? Frequently, Washington, D.C. In fact, they were caught bringing those boys actually into the physical structure of the White House. No arrests have ever been made in this prostitution ring except for one of the victims who spoke out to expose it was convicted of perjury and sentenced to 21 years. The reporter covering this story died in a mid-air plane explosion over Nebraska. The Washington lobbyist who was running the tours of the White House was found dead in the Ritz-Carlton, D.C. The Discovery Channel paid half a million dollars to have a documentary made about this story but then never aired it. The government investigation, which was wrapped up very quickly, told us all that we may ignore this. It's just a carefully crafted hoax. In our own decade, this is just the stories from last year, human trafficking and prostitution rings have repeatedly ensnared law enforcement officers, judges, and agents of the Department of Homeland Security, all in on it, running it. Veronica's voice isn't blocked because no one could understand how good it would be to set victims of exploitation free. They're blocked because there's a heap of cash made on these people's broken minds and broken bodies. And the whole system stays in place only if you and I, the common people, think of the people being prostituted as criminals. Only if we are disgusted by them. If anything comes along that begins to tell their story how they ended up there, and how it keeps going on, that movement is quickly shut down and silenced. Why won't corporations participate in the spiritual renewal of our city? Because the exploitation of the poor, the immigrant, and racism is very big business. Think of some of the businesses you know that if they had no access to illegal immigrants will be wiped out. Whether 
the purpose of these uh, organizations is to create a class of people who have no civil rights so you can work them to death for low wages, or whether the goal is to create a class of people that you pay entitlements to not to work as long as they'll just keep voting for you so you can retain power. Whichever plot it is, and they're both attempts to use the poor for someone else's gain, any movement that comes along to humanize the poor, to tell their story, to give them dignity and freedom and real jobs, will be blocked. When you try to make an actual difference in those groups, powerful forces come to stop it. There is no misunderstanding. My God, we cry out on a morning like this. What can you and I do against such powerful and intentional forces of evil? The Apostle Paul says that we can suffer. But through this suffering, we must remember the entire time, there is a power that cannot be stopped, and it is the Word of God. He says this to Timothy in chapter 2, verse 9. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and I have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. Paul is writing Timothy to tell him, Timothy, keep preaching. Keep standing up for what is right. And please come to Rome and help me. And don't be afraid of what they think they can do to you because in reality, they can't really touch who you are. You now follow the Son of God. And you may remember these exact same people tried to kill him and God raised him from the dead. And God will raise you from the dead. And now, person by person, life by life, Jesus Christ is taking over the Roman Empire. Now, they can try to sue you, jail you, smear you, silence you, but it cannot be done. Because when someone no longer fears death, they cannot be defeated. Paul closes this part of the letter with a hymn, I believe, that they sang back then, or perhaps something they would recite. But he says, this is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, We will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. So if we want to help the poor, the minority, the alien, we must be ready to suffer. But they cannot defeat us in this. In fact, the more they try to defeat us, the more they only unmask themselves and show the whole world the true nature of their evil. So we join together with Veronica's voice. We join in prayer for that ministry. We have pledged a small amount of money to help whenever they find that property, to help get it into the shape it needs to be in. We have offered, uh, this is one of the things Lakeland does best, craftsmanship. We've offered to help rehab that property in whatever conditions it's in until it become a beautiful place where beautiful things happen. And we're going to have to raise the funds for all of this ministry ourselves. Large corporations will not be joining us. This is not their thing. No one knows better 
that a bunch of Lakelanders, what suffering comes from raising funds for ministry. Think how much cooler your vacations could be if you weren't giving to church. Think how much cooler your house could be if you weren't also giving gifts to fearless. Think how much cooler your car would be. Think of all the activities your kids could be in and what level they could participate at if you weren't doing all those ministry. Saying yes to Jesus creates serious hardship because it forces us to say no to so many things the world is offering us. Now let's have a family honesty moment. Some of these things the world is offering us are actually done. Um, Cable television. I have never had cable television and it hasn't diminished my life at all. I'm not knocking anybody who has cable television. But if you're honest, if asked the question, has it added great value to your life? I know all those hours you spend where you flip through 300 channels and there was nothing on, but it took half an hour, so maybe there's new stuff on. So you'll never get that time back. A cooler car. At this point, for me to be driving a cooler car would still be the same balding middle-aged guy now in a cooler car. Everyone who saw it would have this reaction. Oh, wow, what a cool car. Ooh, what a, <laughs> what a waste for it to be driven by such an old nerd. But for some of you, what you're giving up is more painful. When it affects your kids. When the extended family cast their pity on you because you don't spend $5,000 at Christmas on presents. When you can't go to your cousin's destination wedding in Ireland. And others of you are making real sacrifices that I don't know about, and if I did, I wouldn't really understand. But when you do these things, you are becoming invulnerable to the world. You are entering a cheat code that gives you eternal life. For those of you who don't play video games, <laughs> my son is a huge video gamer, and what he loves to do is comb YouTube to find cheat codes. Cheat codes are little codes you enter at the beginning of the game, and they make your character invulnerable. Invulnerable. Cannot be killed by any of the uh, hazards in the game anymore. When you have a cheat code, you can do crazy stuff in the game. You can jump off of cliffs. You can defeat entire armies of robots with a toothpick. You can do all this crazy stuff because you have eternal life, the cheat code. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is the cheat code for the game this world has us playing. In this world's game, you and I are supposed to live in fear, do what we're told, and lust after the cheap rewards they offer us sex, and material possessions. But, in, but the gospel is a cheat code that gives you eternal life. And when you have eternal life, you aren't afraid of the dangers in the game anymore. You can play the game of life any way you like once you have the cheat code. Now, if you only get one sentence out of this sermon today, let it be this one right here. Your eternal life is not an escape hatch from the world. Your eternal life is not supposed to be something where you say, oh, I can't wait to get out of this. Now, there will be several days a year when you will say exactly that and feel that way. Paul and Jesus both have some lines where they kind of say that sort of thing. But mostly, 
Mostly what you find is your eternal life is supposed to be a, real, a realization. This is the sentence. Your eternal life is a realization that's supposed to give you the courage to do the right thing today. Because I have eternal life, I am not afraid to do the right thing today. That's the real power of eternal life. For those of you who are single or single again, you're trying to save yourself for real sexual intimacy with someone who will step up and commit all of themselves to all of you. For those of you who aren't altering yourself with drunkenness and drugs, you are also suffering. You are shrinking your possible pool of friends, right? You are shrinking your dating pool down to the size of a puddle. And sometimes when you look into the the church puddle and see what's swimming around in there, you're not so sure if you caught it, you would want to keep it. (laughs) Not all the fish in there are totally healthy. But you are also now walking with an all-powerful God who is able to bring you love and friends and joy, everything you are seeking when the time is right. And I know that you are sick of waiting for the time to be right. But what else are you going to do? Are you going to go back to the world? Are you going to go back to what they have to offer you? What, What do they have to offer you? Frankly, you're too good to settle for that. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Anybody else notice the second half of this gets a little dark? If we deny him, he'll deny us. But the meaning of that is is very simple. When we are called to the suffering and when the world brings us its threats, when the world brings us its dangling of cheap rewards, if we want to buckle and go back to the world and deny the path of Jesus, he lets us go. He doesn't make us stay in a place that we don't want to be anymore. He's not that kind of God. But it says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. That means he never terminates the contract. We can come back. We may have tore up our half of it and handed it back to him, but he took his half and just set it right there on the table because it's a covenant of love and he is the God of love and he can't destroy his love for you. That's who he is. Maybe somewhere weeks or months or years ago you caved into the world and you parted ways with Jesus. But he never tore up his covenant. If you want to come home, the door is open. It has never closed. It has always been open. The light has always been left on. Every night, he set a table with a place for you in case that was the night. And when you come back in God's front door, all he has to say is, 
There's clean towels in the bathroom if you want to wash up before we eat together. Eternal life is yours. The crown of creation is yours. His love is yours. This is what Jesus came to say. You've already seen everything the world has to offer, and it's a whole lot of nothing. Why not come home to the God who loves you? Why not? What do you have to lose that you haven't lost already? The weight of the world is on some of you this morning. But he can make you invulnerable to the world. He can make you invincible to the world. He can make you free. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. There is a whole world of growth. Growth in God, growth in who you are, becoming who you really are. All around you, there is a family to grow with seated all around you right here this morning. How do you begin this journey? You just come back next week. And if you're in town, you come back the week after that. And as often as you can, you come back and each time, sometimes it'll be in the message, but sometimes it'll be in the worship or the prayers or sometimes it'll be in a conversation you have in the lobby. But each week, God will give you, if your ears are open, a next step to take in the journey. Always just a next step. What could be a next step today? Out in the lobby, you walked past a Christmas tree. It's for an organization that works with teenagers in our community who are forgotten, ignored, abused and neglected in many cases. All over it are ornaments hung, which that organization needs to do their ministry. You can walk out today and you can go over there and take off slightly more ornaments than you think you can afford. And you buy those things and you bring them back and you put them under the tree. Now, why did I say slightly more than you think you can afford? Because this is a moment when you look the world in the face and say, you tell me I'm a greedy consumer, but I'm not. I am a generous person. You tell me I don't have enough, but I do. You tell me no one will take care of me, but God will. And so through this generosity, I proclaim I am not afraid. I'm not playing by the rules of this game anymore. I have eternal life. It's the cheat code that says, I can do more of this than how you scored me, said I should. Now, nothing on that tree comes to this church. Nothing comes to me. It's a separate organization in the community. So there's no fox guarding the chicken coop on this. I'm trying to create an opportunity where, free of wondering what's really going on, you can make a proclamation about who you are and who you live for and how you want to be. There's a table set for you. It is the table of communion. If our servers want to come forward and get ready. If you want, there's a series of things you can think about. You can stand up when it's time as a, as a sign of standing up for Christ. Standing up and being counted among him, not denying his path. You can walk down the aisle if you like. That can be like walking out of the world and into God's kingdom. Back to the world. You don't own me anymore. What will you find down here? You'll find bread. 
Because Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, betrayed by the world, Jesus took bread and he said, this bread is broken for you. Even though you're the ones betraying me, my body is broken for you. You take that bread and you dip it in the cup because he took a cup and he said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sin. I forgive all of this. I have kept the light on. I have kept a place set. There's clean towels in the bathroom. Come wash up and let's eat together. So when you tear off this bread and dip it in the cup, we remember his death. We take it into ourselves. We receive his forgiveness. Symbolically, we receive eternal life. The cheat code is entered. Now go live accordingly. So there's tables at the edge where you can kneel and pray. You can pray for yourself if you want. You can pray for others. You can pray for the courage to do what's right this week. Go down the sides and then come back to the middle. We're going to close in song and prayer together. Now, there's lots of reasons why you may not want to come forward. You may not believe any of this. You may be exploring it, not sure it would be authentic. That's totally fine. You also may just have twisted your ankle on the way to church this morning and you're just not sure you make the walk. So no, there's no, no one judging anyone. Do what feels right to you this morning. So let us have a moment of silence while we really let this soak in what we're doing and then we'll begin. And we'll recite the benediction. May the peace of the Lord be with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.